I'm Paul Dunn and welcome to The Creative Relay, the podcast where Australia's most inspiring creatives talk to the creatives that most inspire them. Brought to you by Smith & Weston. So here's the deal. Each episode you'll hear from an inspiring creative mind, first to be interviewed and then interviewing the creative of their choice in the following episode. Before we begin, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. Last time on The Creative Relay, Ant Keogh spoke to Jonathan Kneebone from the Glue Society about his career-long focus on involving his audience as well as his lucky break into advertising. My dad rang me up and he said, you know you want to work in advertising? One of my patients came into my skin clinic the other day and his son had a terrific boil on the back of his neck. <laughs> so while I was lancing it, his father <laughs> told me that he had a job going. <laughs> Maybe more of a lucky lance than a lucky break. Anyway, so now it's his turn to pass on the baton. You're listening to The Creative Relay. Okay, so welcome back to The Creative Relay. Jonathan, thank you for returning. Hello. Now, when you were with us last time, you gave us a hint about who you were going to be interviewing, who you wanted to have a chat to. Yep. Uh, Can you remind us of that hint? I think I said I had chosen a female creative who's had experience working in Melbourne and Sydney. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that was about as vague as I could be. Okay, so, well, would you like to reveal to us then who it yeah. is? Yes, indeed. Uh, so it's Tara Ford, ECD of DDV Sydney. And the reason I've chosen Tara particularly, apart from loving a lot of the work that she's done, is I feel like we should have met. <laughs> I feel like we should have spent time together. And we've worked together, we've done projects together, we've had success together. But never chatted. we've never actually... Well, had a chance to talk. Why don't we get Tara in and we'll have a talk now. That's a fair description, isn't it, that we have we should have met? Yes, we definitely should have met. Yes, I feel like you've been, you've been a figure on the other side of the wall that um, is referred to a lot and has been part of the team but never yeah. face-to-face. This is really a chance for me to get to know you and obviously find out more about your life and career and everything. So... Tell me about the early years and what inspired you to want to get into advertising. Early years. Well, I always loved art and I always loved writing and storytelling and ideas and problem solving, I guess. And when I looked at careers that I could employ all those um, those things, um, yeah. advertising was one of them, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I wasn't quite brave enough to be an artist and, you know, really let that run its course. So I thought, how can I be artistic and still, um, yeah. you know, uh, make money basically and support myself? So, yeah. yeah. What, what kind of age did you take a shine to art or did you, was it just a natural? Always. You yeah. naturally had that in you? Yes, always. And what about parental sort of, did, was there any heritage of art in the family or is it just... Um, I've had, well, my aunt was an artist and my great aunt was an artist. Oh, wow. Um, but, um, yeah. Living in Australia? Yes, living in Australia, but not, I didn't really have um, anyone in the house uh, kind of, you know, pushing me that way. Yeah. Um, I think more I was being pushed towards uh, 
you know, being a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. <laughs> right. So um, why do they do that? That didn't quite come off. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, yeah. we've been so bored. So, yeah. And and what number in the of kids were you? I'm number two of two of two. Oh, two of two. Yeah, right. I've got an older brother. And did um, he do? Accountancy or oh he's an engineer oh, okay. yes right, yes okay. and he went into a, um, uh, a mining company so yeah we're chalk and cheese really so you you like you liked art you enjoyed it yes love I still love to this day and I still you know I still do drawings and I feel like I am creative all the time you know in my spare time and I certainly love looking at art as well yeah yeah and. Once you started working in advertising, did you start to feel like your art had to have an idea in it? You know what I, you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Um, I think all art should have an idea in it, mm. but it's quite different. Um, it's quite different to advertising, obviously. So what, when did advertising, how did you get introduced to it? Was it something that you kind of sort of stumbled across yourself or was there careers office or what? No. I, well, I actually did. I actually trained to be a, a client. So I've got oh, a marketing right. degree and an arts degree. So, um, yeah, I did a marketing course, business course, um, and there was an advertising subject in that. Yeah. And that's what I loved. Yeah. So yeah. I just took it from there, really. Did you go and join the dark side? Oh, no. No, no. <laughs> no. I don't think I ever really was going to do that, but um, I'm glad I did do it because it's, you know, it gives you bit of an insight yeah. into, um, you know, business and what a client is going to be thinking or what there is beyond yeah. the advertising side of things. So it's been it's been pretty useful. Yeah, because they have a different language or different, I don't they know, do. different priorities. I can't say I've ever really got to the bottom of really understanding marketing, which sounds a dangerous thing to admit <laughs> when we're being recorded. Oh, I, you know, <laughs> you got this far. I think you'll be all right. <laughs> but... Um, I don't know. I, I kind of go, the nicest thing about advertising versus marketing is you get to work on different types of things rather than just the one. Oh, totally. I think that's the, that's a brilliant part, isn't it? You get to think about so many different things and, you know, with every new client, you learn about a whole new industry and a whole new thing in the world, really. Yeah. I know you've worked in lots of cities around yes. the world. What was the order of the agencies? Well, I worked in Melbourne to start with. Um, I actually did a, the advertising trainee chip. I, I don't know if that's still going. I don't think it is. Right. Which is for suits, actually, um, and, and strategists. And um, I lied and said that that's what I wanted to do to get in there. So that gets you into an agency and you work in every single department. Right. So, yeah, so I totally lied and got in there. And <laughs> but once you're in, you're in, really. Exactly. Yeah. And then I did copy school and then, you know, so I did end up in the creative department pretty yeah. much straight away. And where was that? Which... Um, it was uh, McCann Erickson in Melbourne. Who was running it in those days? Uh, Stuart Byfield. Okay. He'd had a lot of success with the, um, his TAC campaign. Oh, so okay. he had uh, won a gold line back then, which was, you know, quite some feat. And so was was he the person responsible for all of that? Um, the first iteration, the I think, yeah. Yeah. If you drink, drive, you're a bloody, bloody idiot. idiot. Which is pretty, I mean, I remember seeing that when I worked in the UK and going, holy shit, they're pretty honest over there. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Amazing piece of work, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think the agency was a brilliant creative agency at the time, yeah. but, um, yeah, that was certainly a great piece of work. And did you start to get the sense that this is what I want to do but I'd rather be in a better environment? Yes. Yeah. I think, I mean, I was incredibly ambitious and 
I thought about where is the advertising coming from that I love, you know, yeah. what do I aspire to and who are the people doing that? Um, so that's where I pinpointed where I wanted to go next, basically, yeah. to work with those people that I so admired their work and who I could learn from. So yeah. Yeah. so London was the next stop, really. And it was at TBWA? Yes. Yeah. So how, how difficult was that? Oh, it was pretty difficult. To get over there. Um, I mean, TBWA is not an easy agency to get into. No, and it was a very good agency at the time. I think it was kind of runner-up to Agency of the Year in London. So it was when they were doing all the PlayStation work. And it was was Trevor Beattie there then? Yes. Right. Yeah. So, so was he, did he take you on? Yes, he did, yeah. So Fantastic. I didn't get off the plane and walk in that door, I can tell you. So um, I did arrive with my folio that was... Um, Pretty good for considering I had only a few years' experience and I'd won some awards, um, you know, nothing too exciting. But it was very much a start again type situation when I walked in there because people would look at my folio and they'd say, oh, what's that? Oh, that's not a real ad. I was like, yes, it is. It just ran in Australia. Oh, that doesn't count, you know. Yeah. So um, I think it's back then it was a bit different too. I think Australians weren't seen as a creative powerhouse at all. You know, no. I think we've probably got a better reputation now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. It, it took probably five, five or six months to get into a good place. I did some placements and, you know, freelanced a few places, yeah. but um, I went there for a reason, so I just kept going until I, yeah. I got into one of the really good places. That's amazing because, I mean, that would have been in the top three, if if not the best It was place. A, It was amazing. I mean, every you walked past every creative office and there was there was – literally something coming out of there that made you think, oh, shit, I'm actually not that good. Yeah. Oh, God, I better, you know, look what they're doing, you know, and that that's what I wanted. I wanted to be that inspired. Yeah. And that pushed as well. Yeah. Very competitive. Um, I think it, for every half-decent brief, there would be at least three teams on that and you would have to compete for every um, for every project. So, yeah, it was constantly battling to get something, you know, made uh, and be the team that, that won out. And I think it, it was an interesting balance because you wanted the client to buy your work, but you also wanted it to be good work. So it was that balance of pushing it and being bold enough that it was something you wanted to make, mm. but it also being within the realms of it's going to be bought. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was quite a balance. And we didn't sell our own work. We handed it to uh, the account account people who would then go and, and present it. So it yeah. was, it, in retrospect, that's such a strange, yeah. um, you know, kind of way to work because you didn't talk to the clients, you know. No. And I think it was more of a view back then that um, don't put creatives in front of clients because um, it will muddy their thinking, you know. It will, it will take yeah. the shine off their creative edge, you know, and um, make, yeah. them, make them think in ways that we don't want them to, so... Yeah, or take things personally and cause Oh, yes, aggro. we couldn't take it, <laughs> of course. We were wild and strange creatures. Did you ever for a minute believe that or did you just think, did you know that it was just suits just protecting their own turf? I think back then I was probably, because um, I'm a little shy, you know, certainly back then I was, managed to get over it. But, um, you know, I think I was kind of relieved that someone was taking the work away. You yeah. know? And I'd always have a chat to them and say, please say this and this and this and this is the reason and, okay, good luck, bye. And, I, you know, you kind of get on to the next project then. So you're always thinking about the work and the creativity. You're not thinking about the selling of yeah, it, which, yeah. you know, I now really enjoy and I think it's a really crucial part of the process yeah. to have a relationship with the client. How things have changed. I haven't worked in an agency environment 
for a long time now. So what happens now in terms um, of a new brief coming in? Yeah, I think, well, every agency is a bit different, but yeah. I think it's best if someone can own, you know, own a project and, yeah. you know, obviously the bigger things, sometimes you need a bit more firepower on it and to make sure you're going to hit a deadline, you know, equally if you have a really quick deadline, sometimes you need more than one team. But mm. um, I think making it that competitive, I think it's good to be competitive, but making it that stressful and competitive um, is not always helpful. And, yeah. you know, the team that always gets the work sold, is there's lots of reasons work gets sold and, and sometimes it's not necessarily the most amazing piece of work or the best piece of work or mm. or the most bold piece of work that, that would actually, you know, yeah. be good for the business. It's interesting how the good teams always seem to be the ones that were the, you know, there would be teams that emerge in agencies that yes. just seemed to be firing all the time. And I think it's partly because they create a bit of an aura around them that says, right, if it's a Kez and John campaign or a Ant and Grant, probably easier to sell it because the, the suits feel confident in it. That's right. You know? And it's subjective. Um, yeah. And so yeah. everyone goes, oh, no, this is great. Oh, yes, this is great. And it yeah. just builds from there. Yeah. 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 But when you went to present work to Trevor, say, as the creative director at TBWA, mm. would, you be, would you be with other teams or would you just be on your own? Um, just on our own. You never knew what, quite what you'd get. So sometimes you'd go in there. So he'd turn around in his chair, we'd have to sit down and he'd say, tell me what the thought is in one line. You have one sentence to tell me what the idea is. Mm. And that would be it. That's all you'd get. And if you didn't like the sentence that came out of your mouth, he wouldn't want to see what was on your paper Yeah, yeah. Um, or anything else, you know. So occasionally it would be that. And then other times he'd just say, yeah, pass me the piece of paper and read a script, you know. Yeah. So or, and other times he'd want it presented to him. So um, yeah. you had to be on your toes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good um, discipline, though. It sounds like it can be quite a brutal um, training in a way, you know, those sorts of creative directors who were so intimidating and unpredictable. I'm interested in how how you approach it now as the person sitting in the chair. Well, the way I approach it is I think about the person in the other chair and what's going to get the best result and make them feel comfortable. I don't think it's, you know, I don't want people to come into the room and think, oh, I've got to present work and that's just not helpful. I want people to absolutely do their best and know that I expect that, but I don't want people to be uncomfortable. Um, and I think, yes, it's times have changed. Well, I don't know. Maybe some people are still like that, but it, it depends on your personality, how that, how you respond to that. You know, some people, there are a lot of people dropped out and couldn't handle it. Um, and there's, you know, it was very competitive within the agency environment as well. You know, if you hadn't done some good work for a while, it was a bit like, mm, yeah. you know. So um, was the next stop Amsterdam? Or, yes. Yeah. When did that happen? Um, that happened... Um, around 2004, I think, went to Amsterdam. So, yeah, spent quite a few, spent about six or seven years at TBWA and then went to Amsterdam with my husband at the time. Um, and I was pregnant when I moved and so did a bit of work at Wyden Kennedy then. Awesome. And were they doing all the Nike football stuff then? And they so, were doing yeah. Nike. That's what I worked on. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Were you in charge of yourself then or were you? Oh, I was just, uh, well, I was pregnant, so oh. no one was going to hire me. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, I just worked freelance there. So when did you go to TBWA? Oh, sorry, in Melbourne. I mean. In Melbourne. Um, was that the next step, by the way? Oh, look, I had a few more kids. I had a divorce. I moved countries, you know, so there's a bit of life stuff in between. Right. Um, took a bit of time off. Um 
looking after children as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, my partner called me a caged animal at the time, so I acted like a caged animal. So I got back to work, which was a good thing for me. Right. Good um, four kids. Uh, by then. Well, yes. Amazing. Yes. Well, you know, yeah. I don't know how you um, do it. So I went back to work for a bit of a break. Um, <laughs> um, so when did I start at TPWA? Around 2010, I guess. As CD? 2011. No, I started as a freelancer. Okay. So I started freelance um, and it was actually really good having that break because I think it, it really made me think about the business and made me think about the changes that had happened in the business. Mm. And, you know, I didn't take anything for granted. You know, there's all these different digital things happening, you yeah. know, and it's like, well, I couldn't ignore that. I had to get on top of that and understand yeah. what was happening. So and I think that was really good because if I hadn't had that break and actually stepped out, I, I may have just gone along without thinking I needed to do that. So, um, and it also, I guess it, it also refueled my ambition too. Um, you know, quite scary being out of the business and trying to come back in. Did it change how competitive you were well, just I've, having that time out? Or did I've always been quite competitive, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you kind of have to be a little bit. Yeah. You can't be happy with the status quo in advertising, surely. Yeah, well, I don't know. It's just who well, I am. you can't be happy to come second all the time. You've got no, to be, yeah. I don't like coming second. <laughs> and... Did you kind of start to foster relationships with clients then because you had the opportunity to do so or was it more, you know, the right briefs landed on your desk? Oh, no, I definitely, uh, I did a lot of the wrong briefs too before <laughs> right. I got the right briefs. Right. Um, yeah, no, I, I I was lucky enough to get in front of clients and, and have quite a good role even as a freelancer. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that was good. And I don't know, I, you could, you can, you just know that if you're working well with a client, the work is going to be better. You mm. can feel it, you know, mm. instead of you have a conversation about something and you can explain why you just can communicate much more easily and they can communicate back. You know, it's not like it, you just get to a better place quicker. Yeah. I always think you've got to have a shared goal. Totally. I mean, it's how rarely does that happen though? I mean, it's pretty rare. It's yeah. rare, isn't it? But yeah. it's ridiculous. It does seem that some agencies are in a relationship where the client is trying to trip the agency up and the agency is just desperate to tell the client to fuck off. <laughs> and there's no desire to do something nice together. I don't know. It's just weird. That's toxic. I know. But why does that happen? I also think that you spend so much of your time at work. I actually want to have a good time as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to enjoy myself. I want to laugh yeah. a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, if I'm not doing that or I'm with someone who is, you know, I don't think is thinks the same way as me or thinks that I'm making sense or yeah, that's it's just not fun. Because when, when you do walk into the room for a pre-production meeting as a director or as someone yeah. doing a project, you instantly know whether the relationship's a good one or not, you know, whether the agency's going, well, we won't talk about that because that's our little agenda on the side. Yeah. And can you not say this? <laughs> or can you not say this or whatever? But but if the relationship's strong, the work is always so much always. nicer. So the project we have in common from those days is GTMs. Yes. This year, as principal partner of the Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, ANZ brought their popular Gay TM campaign back to Sydney. Oh, the Gay ATM! Oh, the 
them. I love them. I just think it's great to have ANZ supporting our community. It's been all over social media. People are laughing about it. People are talking about it. So how did you get them interested in the idea of publicly talking about their the ANZ sponsorship of Mardi Gras? Because that wasn't something necessary they might have wanted to publicise. Well, or... no, they had actually always publicised it because they had supported the Mardi Gras for years. Yeah. And, you know, it's part of what they stand for as a company, you know, diversity, mm. inclusion, respect and, you know, bringing your whole self to work. So, you know, it's part of their DNA. But in previous years, they just had a kind of subcommittee, you know, their pride committee that would, um, you know, pretty much do up their own ad that they'd put out somewhere, you know, a press ad or, you know, some, maybe something in branch. And you know, that was the original brief. It, it was for um, an in-branch poster. <laughs> right. So I think that project is a great example of brilliant clients mm. that wanted it as well. And I think that that first year in particular, there weren't that many eyes on it too. So there were, you know, there were a few core people who really embraced it and just took it and mm. made it happen, you know, and we were very lucky. And they helped the process too, yeah. you know. They came up with some ideas yeah. for designs or, you know, yeah. some their feedback was great. So, yeah. Were you surprised how well it went down and what happened with the campaign? Yes. I mean, we, we had hopes that it would and it felt really good and it felt really exciting all the way through. Mm. Um, and I think the, the night before they were being installed, I had that feeling of, oh, maybe I'm mad, maybe this is going to be a complete flop and, you know, just, just a little anxious moment. Um, a good anxious moment. A good anxious moment. But yeah. then but then when they, they were installed, and I think a beautiful part of that job was that we could stand there and watch people see them and respond to them, you know. You don't get to do that a lot in advertising. No, and at three in the morning. Well, three in the morning in they were. Street. Well, yes, <laughs> but I think there was a lot of love for them. <laughs> but there was a lot of love beyond the three the three a.m. as well. But yeah, just having people come up and you know we we had people shaking our hands and hugging us and saying how beautiful it was and how amazing a bank's doing this and you know it, it actually I guess what surprised me was how how much bigger it was than I thought it would be as far as how it would impact people. But that's that's quite a big statement. It's a massive Straight statement, mm. and it's a massive statement for a bank, you know. Yeah. And sure, there's lots of ATMs around the city. Go to another one if you don't like this one. However, yeah. if that's your ATM that you go to to get money out every Thursday and you're confronted with uh, rhinestone designs, you know, it is, you know, you have to think about it. Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that was the brilliance of it too because it it really, that's why it was a statement, mm. you know. Um, it was it was something that was mainstream. It wasn't something that was tucked mm. away in a publication that only LGBTI people would see. Yeah. It was it was and, out and, there for and everyone. That, that was what was great about it winning the outdoor Grand Prix because mm. it was a great piece of outdoor. I mean, it was amazing that they got behind it so much because what's the return on investment for that? Awesome. What banking products will be, you know, are you going to open a new account because of this? Well, maybe some people will, but, you mm. know, really it was just a... Um, beautiful big statement about what they, you know, what they were about. For people to see that message from a bank like ANZ, it matters. It works. So tell us about how this new opportunity of moving to Sydney came up. Well, I was firstly approached about the job in Melbourne. Oh, okay. For ECD. 
And as part of that, I had to fly up to Sydney and meet Ben Welsh and AL and had a great chat to them. And after that, they said, well, actually, how about Sydney? Wow. Yeah. You'd always lived in Melbourne, so that was why you went back to Melbourne, was yes. it? Or, or yeah. yeah. So what what would you have said about Sydney before you came here? Not, I know you haven't really been at the agency that long, but what was what was your expectation of Sydney, Adland versus Melbourne? Well, look, I'd been up here so much just shooting and doing productions, and so as a city it wasn't, it didn't seem that different or, you know, something that was out of my comfort zone anyway. Um, so there hasn't been a big transition that-wise. I guess I'm still kind of figuring mm. out, you know, business-wise and agency-wise how it's different. Yeah. Um, it does feel a little different. Certainly DDB is a lot bigger than um, yeah. TWA in Melbourne. The thing I would say is that in Sydney, there's so much going on in terms of culturally. As a, as a city, Melbourne seems very much more focused and defined to me than, than Sydney. It feels much more loose and, and less clear in its sense of purpose. So I kind of that seems to rub off on the work somehow for me. Um, it's more, well, I think I feel like it's more international here. Like you do get a lot of people from different countries, you know, they will come to Sydney to work rather than Melbourne quite often. Right. Um, so, I mean, our... Our department, our creative department, is um, has people from all over the world, which I love. That mm. feels more like what I'm used to from Amsterdam and even London. Yeah, um, yeah. So um, that's been great. But, yeah, I guess then, you know, there is a lot of mixing of cultures and, and yeah, maybe maybe so it is less defined, yeah. Mm. What would you say the, the kind of things you'd really like to make happen next? Is there sort of goals that you set yourself for? I want to do a lot of awesome work, yeah, obviously. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I would like to do, you know, I'm very interested in other media ideas using different media. I'll be looking for opportunities in that space, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we've got great clients, so I think it's all, it's certainly all possible. You've mentioned a couple of times the just your ambition and so few people actually admit that. You know, and how gauche of me? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no but like, I, I think it's really cool. But where do you think it comes from? Oh, I don't know. I think it's just who I am. You know, I'm not satisfied very often. So I think I'm always looking to the next thing. I'm very driven. So, um, and I like to be busy, and I like to. I'm always thinking about things. I guess I don't really stop thinking about ideas and and what I'm working on, and you know. I don't think of it as working. It's just like it's always kind of bubbling away. So, And does that leave you much space for your own creative projects, the things that are going on in your head? No, it doesn't leave much space. It doesn't leave much energy or, or time. Um, that has certainly suffered um, recently. I think it's kind of the first thing to go when you've yeah. also got children. Um, they seem to be louder and yell louder than uh, your personal needs quite often. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to put it mildly. Yeah. Is there a stage of the process that you really love, particularly enjoy? There's nothing better than that feeling when you when you have a good idea, you know, that moment when you when it comes together and you know, it's so energizing when you think, ah, yes, that is that's gonna work and that's gonna be amazing. Um, sometimes you, you sleep on it and you wake up and you think, Oh, that's not right <laughs> at all. But um, that feeling is brilliant, you know, yeah. and, and telling people about an idea, um, that you really like is I love that. Yeah. I love selling an idea that, that I'm excited about. But I do love executing as well. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think that's 
that's where you can push an idea up and make it, you know, from, from good to great, from yeah. great to iconic, you know, that's in the execution. Yeah. Definitely. And I think, you know, if people, if you take your foot off the gas, then I think things can really go backwards almost. So, mm. yeah, I love that process. And I love the collaboration of it too. Yeah. There's a lot of much smarter people than me and more talented that I can work with. And, you know, that's brilliant. But choosing someone to work with on is, is there's people who are good at making the, the right decision, I think. If you and the client have got the same shared ambition, the same thing has to happen between a creative team and a director, I think. Totally. Yeah. You know, that's not often the, the reason for why a director gets chosen these days. I mean, there's a lot of who's, who's the best value going on and... Well, I think if you're if you go for someone just because they're good value, then quite often you're throwing all your money away. So it's actually not good value. So, yeah, yeah. you know how how much do you want this work to resonate with people or be right? You know. Yeah, yeah. I think I also enjoy um, looking beyond what's obvious as far as execution goes as well. So using people that maybe haven't done a lot of advertising or from another world. I think that. That sometimes creates magic as well. Mm. It's risky, and you've got to pick your you've got to yeah. pick your projects. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I do also like to do that. So we've got um, there's a new event happening, DNAD Rare. I think you're yes. involved in it. Yes. Yeah. I feel it would be a bit remiss to not talk about the kind of gender challenges of advertising. I think it's a um, I'd just be really interested to know what has changed, if anything, over the past, well, since you started in, in the advertising business to now. Is, is there, you know, a real desire to change and to make the industry more diverse or is it just, is it still at a tokenistic stage or is it, I don't know, I'm kind of interested to hear what your view of it is. Yeah, th well, there's a lot of talk of it. Mm. That's That's definitely so. I mean, I think when I, probably when I, started out, there were, I would say there were more women actually in creative departments, um, probably in every country I've worked in, you know, there, there have been more women. I, I feel like it's, there's certainly a focus on it now. I've never really thought of myself as a, as a female creative. It's never been anything that I've had top of mind. I've often walked into a room and thought, oh, yeah, I'm the only woman. Okay, well, whatever, mm. you know, and, and just had to use that to my advantage in a way because there's going to be so many things that I can talk about authentically and experiences I can draw upon that, that no one else in the room can do. And I think um, yeah. that's just what I, that's what I focus on. I hope, I hope that, that there will be real change. Um, I, I'm certainly conscious of it. Mm. I think you can't talk about it without actually doing something about it. How important are mentors, mentors for you? I think they're always important, whether or not you think of them as mentors. I mm. mean, I don't think I've really had a formal mentor, but there have been people that have just, at the right time, given me confidence or given me the support for me to think, oh, I'm going to keep going or, yes, yeah. I'm doing the right thing. And I think, you know, for me... I guess it maybe it comes back to that drive and ambition, you know. People tell me, you know, if I've been told, no, you're not going to do that, or I just uh, just ignore that and keep yeah. going, you know. So I think that's why it's happened. But I suspect you're going to become one for other people. Well, this is happening, actually. I'm increasingly being contacted by young women and, you know, I find myself in this position. I'm, act I'm kind of, like, surprised that this has happened to me, but, um, you know, it's great, mm. you know. 
And yeah, I think I'm there if people people want to take that up and you yeah know. and really what you're doing is giving people advice about how to be a good creative art director yeah. copywriter don't focus on being a woman just mm. be who you are but I'd, I'd say that to anyone you know yeah. i'd say that to um a gay man or a single mother or you know yeah. you have something that that other people don't have and draw upon that with every project you have you know whether you're really young and inexperienced will you have something that I don't have or whether you're in your 50s and you've gone through three divorces you know that's experience to draw upon and I think yeah. everyone has something I've got one last question would you be happy for your kids to get into advertising <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good question um would I be happy for them to Sure, if they really wanted to, but mm. I think they can see how hard I work. They can see what it takes, but they can yeah. also see how rewarding it is. So my eldest son has has announced that he'd like to be a stand up comic, you know. So, okay. uh, and he's he's quite funny. So, um, <laughs> but there's been there's been no no interest in advertising so far. I did bring home a big award once, um, a, a big gold award. And my kids ran up and one of them said, oh, is there chocolate inside that? <laughs> and when I had to break the news that, no, it was not foil-covered chocolate, he uh, walked off and was not interested one bit. So um, I don't think I'm going to have that problem. You talked about the, the selling of work mm. and how you enjoy doing that. Mm. Do you think that's an underrated part of what we do? I think it's a crucial part of what we do whether it's underrated. Well, I think if you don't think it's important, then you're in trouble mm. um, because if something doesn't get made, doesn't get sold and doesn't get made, you might as well not have had the idea. So, you know, it, it's absolutely crucial. And I think it's also, you know, it's the time when you can get someone excited about an idea and, you know, take them on the journey with you and get them across how it's going to be executed and just get people excited. And I think mm. that's, you know, it's not just selling the idea, it's selling the vision and, you know, what you're going to do and how wonderful it's going to be, you know. So I think um, yeah. it's a key part in the process. Do you train your guys to do that or do you just expect them to sort of like pick it up? Um, no, I think it's good after after every presentation to talk about how do you think that went? What what worked? What didn't work? Or, you know, I think it's good to always have more junior people in the room so they can see how different people present. You know, I love to see other people present mm. as well. And I think you can learn a lot from the different kind of styles. Everyone's got a different style too. So I'm not expecting anyone would emulate me. And certainly I've I've had bosses that are way more charismatic than me that sell in a different way. But I think you've always got to find your own style and I think it's it's important to give people feedback on how they went and how they can improve. Mm. And finally from me, is there anything that any advice you give to creative guys, you know, fairly fresh? I mean, maybe they don't have that drive and that ambition. Do you have any advice? Oh, well, you can't fake that. So I, I would say find your own voice and find work you love doing. Write the ideas that you want to make. Write the things that you'd like to see in the world and make those things happen. I think that's that's inspiring for, for young people. Nice. Thank you, Tara. Now, one last thing from me. Uh, Rumour has it that you have a signature sound that has actually been sampled by a London DJ who's used it on a track. Now, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I do. Could you give us a little demonstration of this um, sound, please? So good. 
unbelievable, Tara. That is absolutely brilliant. Now, as part of the deal, of course, you're coming back next week. So you have, I believe, selected someone that you would like to have a chat to next week. Yes, I have. And in our tradition, you need to now drop us a hint as to who that person could be. What have you got for us? Okay, well, I don't know him very well at all, but I have heard that he has a hard shell with a soft centre. He sounds delicious. Really Let's not go there. <laughs> okay, well, that sounds absolutely brilliant. So we look forward to discovering and perhaps breaking through this hard shell of this mystery person next week and having that oozy uh, soft Oh, let's centre. not have any oozy stuff. <laughs> let's just see if he has a soft centre. To start with, yes, okay, yes, thank yeah, you. let's do that. So we look forward to doing that next week. And in the meantime, uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for um, oh, thank you. both sessions. And Tara, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for downloading the Creative Relay podcast brought to you by Smith & Weston. Go to our website at thecreativerelay.com, made by our good friends at Macadamia Digital, where you'll find a whole lot more info and extra content about the podcasts and all our guests. I'll be back next time with Tara and her guest. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe, like and rate us. See you next time. <laughs>